Our guest today is Natalie Cloutier, who started her investing journey along with her husband when they were just 20 years old with $0 in the bank by building their own home from the ground up. They then used an 18-month interest-free credit card from Home Depot to build a basement apartment, got a HELOC, and kept going from there. They have acquired a total of 12 doors so far, with an additional eight that are currently under construction. On this episode, we talked to Natalie about how they got started in real estate investing at such a young age, some of the lessons learned in those early days, how house hacking is real estate investing with training wheels, and how they have scaled from one door to what will soon be 20 build-and-hold rental doors. I'm Neil Henderson, and this is The Road to Family Freedom. Before we get to this week's show, we'd like to make you aware of something. We are self-storage investors. We buy existing self-storage facilities and vacant buildings that can be converted to self-storage in the Sun Belt. We buy them with cash and some with loans, and we use private lenders who become equity partners in our deals. These equity partners share in the cash flow and the profits when we sell. When we find a deal that we are considering, we call the equity partners and offer them a share of the ownership secured by the property. So if you've ever driven by a self-storage facility and thought, I wonder who owns those things, and you have any interest in learning more about the storage business, we'd love to chat with you. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash storage. That's roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash S-T-O-R-A-G-E and set up a time to chat. We look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Well, Natalie Cloutier, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Thank you for having me. We've been trying to get the schedule for a while. <laughs> I know we have. We really, you know, we just, life has been getting in the way, you know, and then, exactly. and then we Same finally, here. then we finally got the things to line up. And then I had technical, it was a day when like Zoom was down for the whole world. So yeah, of course, it's just our luck. <laughs> yeah, it is. But it's good to finally make your acquaintance and finally and get to too. chat. So before we get into your real estate investing journey, tell us a little bit about yourselves that is non-real estate related. Non-real estate related. Wow. Do I even have a self outside of real estate? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, our life kind of revolves around our business these days. But uh, my husband and I met, we were studying um, architecture in college. That's where we met. So again, it started kind of real estate related. And honestly, yeah, there's not much that I can tell you because right now we are living, breathing our business and as much as we're trying to um, automate it more, we're not there yet. <laughs> For our audience who doesn't know anything about you, can you talk to us a little bit about your real estate strategy and how you got into it? Yeah, so we do new build. We I call it build and hold instead of buy and hold. We build and hold. Um, yeah, so we got into it because um, we were looking. It started a, on our first house. We just wanted to have a house, but we didn't have any money down, like zero, but we didn't have any debt either. But anyways, and my parents kind of told me about this loan where you can build a house from the ground up using your labor work as your down payment. So essentially you're exchanging the 20% down with doing a lot of the work yourself. So we did that. We built our house, but then we were only 20 years old at the time. So we were worried about mortgage payments and we didn't have very high paying jobs. My parents told me, you know, do a basement unit. That way you can have that extra income that helps you with your bills. So we did that. And then we noticed, you know, we got a HELOC. The the, the value of the house went up after a year and we were able to get a HELOC. And we just kind of saw this special sauce behind it. So we decided to keep going from there. We used that that HELOC to build another one and another one. And we turned it into a business. So this is what we do now. (laughs) 
when when was that first house built? In 2014. So I think we were 20, 20 years old, maybe 21. Oh <clears throat> on the verge of, 20, of turning 21. <laughs> and uh, what... So give us the, the basic bones of the house. Was it a three-bedroom, two-bath? Yeah, yeah three-bedroom, two-bath. Uh, we did it so that we could have, like we could have done just a, a smaller two-bedroom because we don't have any kids or anything. It was just the two of us. But we figured we wanted a quick exit strategy. We wanted to be able to quickly sell it if ever we needed to. We were very nervous doing all this only at 20. So we did a, a, a 1,500 square foot bungalow, but a little raised off the ground. So we have big windows in the basement. So we have a really nice basement apartment to it as well. And we also kept a part of the basement for ourselves. So we have like a little theater room down there. So the the, the apartment takes about three quarters of the basement. Uh, we also have an attached garage and uh, we're in like a cul-de-sac in a very nice little subdivision. I'm neighbors with my sister and my cousin. So it's fun for that. We're, uh, we're really well located. Oh, that's great. So the, the three bedroom, two bath does not include the basement unit, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So with the basement unit, it's a five bedroom five bedroom, three bath. Okay. So the basement apartment is two bedrooms, one bath. And about how many square feet? Oh, I'd say about 900 square feet. The basement or the whole entire house? Oh, sorry. The basement, just the basement apartment. Gotcha. So the, the entire house, like just the main floor of the house is 1500 square feet. So with the basement is about 3000 square feet. Gotcha. But we don't usually like here, we don't usually count the basement square footage there. Describe for us, you know, the cost. So it was about 3000 square feet. And did you, did you build the basement unit immediately or was that something that came after? Almost immediately. We had done the house. We had been living it for a couple of months. And um, here there's this thing where when you build yourself, you can get like a tax rebate. So we were able to get that. It was about a $12,000 rebate. We use that money immediately to put in the basement. Plus we use like a Home Depot interest-free credit card. So I think we were able to do the basement with, for like, 15,000 and it was done within six months of our house being built and of having moved in. And what, what was the the total cost to build? Total cost was 308. I believe that was just the house and plus add on the apartment. That, inclu- that, in- that includes the house or it's 323 with the basement. It would be 323 with the basement, I guess. Yeah. I'd have to go back. I'm pretty sure that that's what it is. Gotcha. And then just for our audience that isn't aware, you're, you're from Canada. Yes. Uh, and these are, this is 300 $323 Canadian, which I don't, exactly. I, I don't know what the exchange rate is, but I think it's fairly, I don't know. Yeah. I have, I, I suck with that. Right. So I have we'll no have, idea. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to look it up. I, I, I should have looked it up before I, I got into it, but for our audience, you know, um, I think the Canadian dollar is perhaps a little worth a little bit more than the U S dollar, but I don't know. I don't know for sure. Look that up. Google sure. it. Yeah. I should look that up too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you said, uh, there's a program in Canada that allows you to basically, um, sweat equity, the, the down payment. Yeah. So, and you guys have that too in the States. I've met a couple people through Instagram that have, um, you guys call it permanent, no loan to permanent something like that. And it's basically the same uh, principle. So you can, I'll do it with easy math. Let's say you have your drawings for your house. You go to see the bank, they appraise it for a hundred thousand dollars. They'll say, okay, well, we will lend you $80,000. So 80% of that value to build it. And it's up to you to build it. They'll give it to you in progressive draws. So they'll give you, I don't know, 20,000 as they go, they go and inspect, they see at what uh, stage you're at in the construction and they'll give you the um, according amount. 
And so basically it's up to you to build it for that 80% value. And like, if you go over budget, then you have to pay the difference. So that's kind of how, like by doing a lot of the work yourself, you're able to save 20% and you're able to, to build it for 80% of the loan. Gotcha. And you guys, you, you mentioned that you're, you and your husband met in architecture school. So did you design, you designed the house yourselves? Yeah, we design all our houses. Um, I studied, well, yeah, sorry, we studied in the same class, but when we graduated, I got a, a job, a full-time job designing homes. Basically I was a custom home designer and my husband was an estimator. So now it works really well in our business because I will design the houses and then he'll take care of like, once the houses are drawn, he'll take care of all the estimations and getting the the codes done to build. So that works really well for us. Oh, that's great. And then, um, did you, uh, now architecture going to architecture school is very different from swinging a hammer, framing a house, hanging drywall. Did you do, did you do the physical labor as well? Yes, I did. And so did Rob. Um, we both worked for our dads. Like uh, Rob was more of a painter. He was a painter all throughout his high school was for someone he worked uh, for, for one of his dad's friends. I mean, and he painted for years and years. And I did a lot of renovation work with my dad ever since I was like, 12 or 14 or so I was pretty young he would bring me to all his sites and I was always like either just just cleaning up after him or but I I started early to do mostly um he would do restoration works like after floods or fires so I did a lot of um basement drywall repair and and you know sometimes we would rip out the entire basements and and redo them so I did a lot of those I got to learn a lot through him too and Rob, when we started dating, he started working with my dad too. So while, while, while we were in college, so he learned a lot through my dad as well. Gotcha. So you grew up in, you grew up in the, the house building business. Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, because my, uh, my, I have a lot of family that did, well, they were mostly in development. Like my grandfather was in development and so was my, one of my uncles, but they never development can take so long and it can be so like, for me, I never want to touch development because I've seen everything that they've been through and it's not something I ever want to do, but they did dabble in it. Like I, my grandfather did build a couple of, uh, duplexes in his younger days. And so I guess it's something that's always been in me. And, uh, and now that I've met Rob and I've kind of, uh, thrown him in my world and he loves it too. So now it's in him too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say you, you have no interest in getting into development, but is that basically what you're, I mean, is there a, di- forgive my ignorance, but is there a difference between what you're doing and, and development? Yeah, there is a big difference. So developing land to get it ready to build I find is very risky because it's very time consuming. You have to deal with all kinds of organizations with the cities, with the environmental groups and all of that. And it can take so long and you can have so many unpredictable. I mean, again, maybe because I've never actually done it, that it's something that scares me, but it, because I, I've had family doing it, that it was really a big hassle. They almost lost their shirts in it and stuff. So it's, for me, it's not something I want to do, but I mean, I've seen people that I know do it and, and it works fine. Right. Building from the, the way we do it is that we'll take a piece of land that's already ready to build. So we call it infill building where, you know, the lot is ready to go. We just buy the lot we start digging and we go for it. Right. When you have to develop the land itself, it's a lot more complicated than people realize. Gotcha. I understand. So it makes sense to me now, you know, we, we, we're in self-storage and so we often, you know, ideally we want to buy a piece of land that's already entitled and, and zoned for storage. You know, if you're buying a, a piece of raw land and having to go to the city and, 
and the the zoning department get it rezoned and get it entitled for what you want to do for it and get it you know the like you exactly. said the environmental study you know that's and then having to build the roads and having all the services under sewers, the roads and oh, all yeah. that ready is is a whole other headache you have to deal with the electrical companies the da- the gas companies the it, it it's no yeah, i yeah. don't not for me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not really for me either. I prefer to buy 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 an existing piece of property, you know, or existing you know structure and and add value to it. That's more my speed. Exactly. So you on that first property, did you own the land already, or is that part of the loan? It was part of the loan. We made it uh, when when we went to see uh, the loan officer. We told her that we had a piece of land, like we had made an offer on a piece of land. So either way, we would have had to ask financing just to buy the piece of land. Like we didn't have, like I said, we didn't have a penny back then. So since we, she knew that we were going to build on it, she kind of incorporated the, the the land into the loan. And I don't remember exactly how she did it, but she was really good. So we didn't have to put any money down, really. The only money you really put into the deal was your on the credit cards that you used to build yeah. out the basement, correct? Right, which was like about three. I think honestly, to be very honest, I think we were about five thousand dollars over budget with the house. Like, I think we ended up spending a bit more because uh, we ended up buying all these tools and stuff that we hadn't budgeted for, and the appliances we hadn't budgeted for. So I think like overall in the house, we were maybe five thousand dollars over that we had to actually had to pay as we went, and then plus like the three thousand that we had left to pay with between the um, the government payback there, the, the, the grant that we got back, the 12000 And I think the, the apartment cost us about fifteen. So yeah, maybe the house probably cost us about eight grand in our own money. Okay. So about it costs you about $8,000 to get into the deal. Yeah. Okay. Or to complete the deal. <laughs> gotcha. And when did the idea come along to build out the basement apartment and start renting it? That was from the beginning. We really designed the house to have that entrance at the back. We designed the septic field to accommodate that. Like it was really, we knew we wanted to do that because for us having a house, being able to build our custom house at our age, like to me, I felt like that was no, 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 we can't do that. We really don't make enough money to do that. And it was really scary to me and to my husband. So by having the apartment, my parents telling us about the apartment, it was really our way of knowing that, okay, we have that safety net. You know, we can rent the basement. We have help with the yeah. payment. So it was, it was our way to get into it with the, with the mind at ease. Yeah. Uh, and you, you have a long-term tenant in the basement. Yeah. Um, we've had a couple turnovers cause it's been six years now, five or six years. So right now we have uh, a gentleman about 60 years old. He's amazing. We never hear him. Uh, and the basement rents out for 1300 a month, all included. Wow. That's great. Yeah. And then, so it includes utilities. Yeah, we we didn't separate the utilities uh, in this yeah. one. I don't know why we didn't. You know, we're we knew now. We know now. I mean, sorry, um, but yeah, we didn't separate the utilities, so we include them. But um, the house now, we we were actually able to pay us pay off our house within five years because we sold other properties and stuff. I mean, really, the thirteen hundred is even if we include utilities is still really great. It's yeah. just cash, pure cash flow. Yeah. And are you still living in the same house? Yeah. Same house. Oh, that's great. Yeah. We, I mean, we harp on this all the time. Maybe who's ever listened to us knows that we harp on the power of house hacking all the time. Oh, uh, it's yeah. how we got into real estate. We, you know, we sort of fell into it because we had a mother-in-law unit at the front of our house uh, okay. that, that we turned into a short-term rental. It paid our mortgage plus another thousand dollars a month. And we just paid, we just used it. We sort of unwisely used it to pay down our mortgage and probably would have 
been better to deploy that capital somewhere else, but it's still, I mean, it was, it's but a huge, still, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it, your, your, your biggest expense in your life is almost always going to be your house and probably your car payment. And, exactly. And if you don't buy cars or you buy, you know, you cash. buy them for cash, then you don't have a loan, yeah. you don't have a, a car payment. And then if you have a house hack, then you've got no, you've got no housing payment. So you can put that money elsewhere. So Exactly. Yeah. No, I always say, well, actually, um, Lauren from rentals to wealth, she always says that house hacking is like investing with training wheels and that's a hundred percent true. It's the easiest way to get started. And I think that, uh, that's what I tell everyone. If you're looking to start investing, you're not sure how house hack, house hack your way to it. (laughs) Uh, with almost any, any strategy we have, we interviewed, um, a good friend here before Joe Prilliman and Clint Harris. And they're both guys that house hack in beach communities in North Carolina. And they live in one side and they rent out the other half on uh, as short-term rentals. And again, it's, you know, they, they both learned how to be short-term rental operators uh, and live next to the beach. It's a great, like you said, it's great training wheels for, for learning how to do a strategy, whether or not you're doing, you know, you know, Mindy, we interviewed Mindy Jensen from Bigger Pockets, and her and her husband do live-in flips. You know, yep. it's also a great way if, you know, Hey, if you don't want to get into just jump right into flipping houses, why not move in and oh, live in it? You know, that's true. So great. For sure. Yeah. So any, any major hiccups in those early days, any lessons learned things you, you do, you do differently besides the, uh, separate metering. <laughs> soundproofing definitely should have soundproofed better our unit here. That was the only thing in this house that I could think of. I think most of our lessons learned came later on in our journey. Like on this first house, it went fairly smoothly. It went, it went really well. A lot of things that like, just in terms of building itself, like we did it, we did this house as cheaply as we could. So like we, there's a few things that we did like in the kitchen or in the trims that we were just trying to save money that if I, if I were to rebuild again, my own house, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cheap out so much, but I mean, it was our way of being able to save our money, not have to spend a penny. So, <laughs> so in your, in your follow on units, you've done better soundproofing and you've perhaps upgraded the particulars a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So like all, all our other units, they're, they're more, um, I, I call them more legal, you know, like they have really, it's really two separate units and everything is soundproofed up to code. Everything is fire rated. So they really, it's really each their own home kind of thing. It creates less, less issues really because less issues for us and less, less issues for them. There are no complaints. So we try to do it as best we can. And we're still learning with that too, because you can never soundproof a unit a hundred percent. So we're always trying to find better alternatives in the, in the construction itself. I guess one other thing that I would say that we learned it will, you know, just, just because I find that we have two different businesses, like there's the construction business and then there's the rental property management business. And I think that the rental management business is better. Nowadays, we learned a lot more on that side earlier on. So how to just have processes and the, you know, the way to function as a business and treat it as a business when you have a tenant and know the laws and all of that. So I think we learned a lot on that side of the business. And in terms of the construction side of the business, we're always learning. There's all, there's always something new with every project. Every project is different and the code keeps changing and the trades always anyway. So that's, I I call it that the chaotic business (laughs) that is still like a working progress, but I think the rental management side, we've pretty much nailed now. Gotcha. Gotcha. So talk to us about the journey from that first house to 
16 doors. Now I know you're down to, you've sold, sold one. So you're down to 12 doors, but talk to us about that journey and sort of how that evolved and, and how, where that growth came from. Yeah. So, I mean, after we finished building our house here, we found a lot uh, about 10 minutes nearby our house that was basically a problem lot. It was a a lot that was for sale for like $30,000. And the lots nowadays, like even back then, they would go for 60 and up, 60, 70, 80. So when we saw that for 30,000, we're like, okay, maybe we can do something. So we were kind of toying with the idea. And uh, back then the market was a lot slower. So we had time to look at it and think it over. And being with our background where we can actually design the houses, we were able to like take a sketch out the lot and figure out what we could build on it. So we were able to design a duplex on it that, that fit with the septic and all that. It was a very weird lot, but anyways, we were able to make it work. And uh, we went for financing on that one Um didn't get approved though on the first first try because we tried to do a duplex and the bank said we didn't have enough because so the, the way it works i can explain is when you build when you're building your own home you can do the whole 80 percent or 20 percent swap with the the labor but when you're building a secondary residence you have to be able to show that you have that 20 percent available in some form either a line of credit or in cash and then they will they will loan you so with our HELOC, I think we had a HELOC of 40,000 at the time. And they said it wasn't enough for the value of the duplex, the 20%. So instead, what we did is we said, okay, well, why don't we uh, build it as a single family home and then eventually convert it into a duplex? That way we can at least get the loan to build. So that passed because it lowered the value of the home enough so that our HELOC was, was enough to get us by. So they marked that as good. We built the house. We got a tenant in for to rent the entire home for about two years. And then when they left after two years, that's when we said, okay, this is our chance. The market is going up. Let's do the basement unit right now. And then, so now we converted into a a duplex two years after. So that first project was kind of our way of figuring out the business outside of our own home. So once we figured that one, uh, even like while it was being rented for the first two years, we were built, we built another single family home and then we built a semi-detached and then we built a duplex and then uh, last year we built our first fourplex. And now this year we're building two other four. Oh, we bird in that time too. We, we bought a side-by-side duplex that we, that we bird. And then now, right now we're building two other fourplex. So by the end of these builds, we'll be at 20 units. We were at 16 units, but we sold four doors this year in the last because the market has, had gotten up and they were properties that weren't cash flowing enough for our time. So we decided to put ourselves like a threshold of, okay, we want to cash flow this month, every, this much every month. And if the properties don't meet that cash, that, that threshold, then we'll get rid of them because they're just not worth our time. We DIY everything we, we manage ourselves. Plus, even if we were to get a property manager, we want to make sure that that property manager can pay for itself plus repairs, expenses, and all that. So got rid of those. And yeah, here we are today. So now we, we kind of figured we're at a point where we figured, okay, you know what? It's, it's better to have less doors, more cash flow. Like I don't want to have a bunch of doors and not cash flow well, because then it's just more headache than anything. So we stopped caring about the number of doors and we just started focusing on the monthly cash flow. And once we started focusing on that, that's where we kind of, you know, reorganize our business for today, what it is today. Gotcha. For the average real estate investor, you know, you're looking at you know, you're looking at buying existing properties and those of, you know, anybody who's been in real estate now for the past 10 years have been seeing, you know, values just going up and up and up and up. But with you guys, you know, you're buying, you're building from the ground up. So how is it that your expenses 
are increasing. Where does that increase? Is it land value? Is it um, materials? Is it labor? What? So, I mean, if you compare it with this year with COVID and everything going on, it's really been a, a stupid year. Everything went up like crazy in terms of material, like a, a pressure treated two by four was more precious than gold. I mean, it was, it was insane. So definitely material went up this year. If you're talking about just an average year, yeah, it was just, you know, the cost of life going up, trades increasing. Because what happened too is that the um, the construction industry here was getting more and more uh, busy. A lot of more people are building and, and developments and whatnot. And so what that when that happens is that the trades get really busy and then there's not enough trades for the amount of work being done. So then the trades bring their prices up because they have too much, too much jobs, too many jobs going on. So and then yes, land value went up a lot too. So it, gotcha. it went up slowly, but it, it there is a, a pretty big difference than when we started five years ago. And since you're since these are as you called them build and hold, and you want to turn them into rentals, is there sort of a criteria that you look at when you're evaluating whether or not you want to proceed on on building one for, you know, what the rents are in the area versus what you think you can build it for? Is there sort of a rule of thumb that you follow? Well, so. If- there's not really a rule of thumb, but I will say this. If you are looking to build, you have to make sure that you're in a market where the value, like the cost to build is much lower than your values. So basically being in a high cost market is where it pays off because chances are that building from new is always going to be cheaper than that value. However, if you're in a market where you can buy a house like $100,000, then don't build. It's going to cost you way more than that because there is still a minimum bearing of what it's going to cost you to build. So always look at that. So that's why we started building because here prices have always been really high. Like there's always been such a high demand. I find that there's not enough housing for the number of people in our area. So like housing shortage has been an issue for, well, ever since we started for sure. I don't know before that. So that's why we kind of started creating our own deals because there was never any deals to just buy and, and renovate, not, not as many anyways. So building is our way of creating our own deals. However, in terms of like what we would need. So now, like I said, we need, we want to cash flow at least $300 per door. That's what it's worth our time. And if we were to hire a property manager, that's what it has to, it's still a business after all. Right. And like, it has, to, it has to pay. So $300 per door for like the, if we're looking for the land now, we try to make sure that we try to do three doors and up. So if we can do a triplex or a fourplex, we've done the singles. We're, not, we're I don't think we're ever going to do singles again. It's not worth our time. And the values of the rents go up higher than people turn over in them. So like we have, like, just for an example, we had a single family home that when it's, when they moved in, it was worth 1700 by the time we ended up selling that place, by the time we ended up selling it, it was worth over 2000 a month, but wow. like, because they're not leaving, we can't increase the rent. So that after a certain time, it just, it doesn't become worth it for us to keep the house anymore because we know we can get way more. So anyway, so we sold the singles and now we're, we, we've done a couple of, of duplexes. We, I don't, I think we're done with duplexes too. Just, there's just more cash in a four door. And we would like to just go into bigger projects as well. Maybe do a, a six or an eight, or maybe even a 12. Like we have a friend who's doing a, a 12 next year and we kind of want to get in on that. So. What's the typical cost per door that you're for one of your fourplexes that you're building? Do you, do you know that? I, I do. I, there's not a, an average answer. That's, that's the thing. All over the it's, map. It can be so different per project because it depends on the lot on the location on the utilities that are there do you have to put a septic field are you connected to the city services what the height the the electricity connection will be like 
at our last fourplex, we had it, I think an $18,000 connection. Whereas once we had a $5,000 one, like things vary all the time. We just keep a very big contingency budget. And we make sure that even if we have to blow that contingency budget, we're still okay. And if we are still okay, then yes, it's worth worth it for us to build, right? So hopefully we don't have to use that contingency budget. But like in the one we're doing, one of the fourplexes we're doing now, like that contingency budget is going to be gone by the time we're done. There's so many, so many things that happened that wasn't planned for that just mistakes from the trades or mistakes from the trust manufacturer. And then of course the, those guys don't want to pay. So it's the client who pays. And yeah. anyways, so it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what percentage does your contingency budget tend to be? Do you 10%, 20%? I, I don't remember percentage. Um, I think it's a good 15, 10 to 15. Like our, our last one, I think we had a $40,000 contingency. And I'm not sure for a percentage. Rob takes care of the budgets, right? He's the estimator. Yeah. So percentage wise, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Gotcha. And then do you have, you know, do you sort of know that all right, you know, we hit a hundred thousand dollars per door, then, you know, then we need to, we need to charge a thousand dollars a month rent per door. Is that generally what no. you do? Is there anything like that? No, the way it works is, um, we'll have an appraiser either way for the loan. It has, you have to have a professional appraiser appraise it. Um, and then they'll tell you that's how we even know if we're doing the build or not. Right. It depends on the appraiser on the appraisal. So if it comes back, if we know that this project is going to cost us again, for easy numbers, if we know that this project is going to cost us $500,000 to build, well, we need to make sure that the appraiser, the appraisal comes in at, at least 750, you know, 800 or something like that when it's all done. If we can, if we know that we can get that at the end with the income approach and all that with the anticipated rents, then we're okay gotcha. to go ahead with it. Right. We have a, a lot of room to, to go. So as an example, maybe the last year's fourplex, it cost us five twenty five to build, and it was appraised for seven eighty. So we got a we we only took, pulled out forty thousand from that one. So we got a five hundred and sixty five thousand dollar mortgage, which is seventy two point something loan to value. Gotcha. Uh, so and we still cash flow very nicely every month. So that that's kind of you know what we're looking for. So these are these are essentially all burrs. They're just ground up burrs. Yeah, exactly. I, I've said that before too. Yeah. For yeah. the other people are saying it's kind of like a burr, except instead of renovating, we're building. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. A lot more moving parts, obviously, but, um, yeah, well, I mean, it can be a longer time frame sometimes, but I mean, I have seen people too, who take like eight months to renovate a property. So, I mean, we've done, uh, our last fourplex took nine months, but Rob was in there doing a lot of the work himself. I had a lot longer hours at work too. I still have a full-time job. So, uh, now the same fourplex we're building this year, we should be able to do it in, I'd say six to seven months. So gotcha. we're able to shoot, the more we do, the more we're able to shave some off. Uh, but that was like the same project as the one before. So it was easier to repeat certain steps. Whereas like the, the second fourplex we're building this year is a completely different model. It's in a very um, tight spot in a, in a more urban area. So that one uh, is going to take a little longer because it's just such a bigger, well, different pro project than what we're used to. Is there a seasoning period that the banks require? Is it, you know, sort of like, Hey, you know, you got to have a tenant in place for six months before we let you do the cash out refi, or is it pretty much as soon as it's been appraised and it's habitable? Yeah. As soon as it's appraised and habitable, there's no, uh, there's not really a cash out refi because by the time 
you just have to be at 95% completion. The appraiser will come and check and you send over all your signed leases to the loan officer. They'll review that. If all that is good, then the they, they do a 10% holdback, uh, which is basically just to make sure that there are no uh, liens on the property uh, for 60 days or something like that. Then once that's done, like you've got your full mortgage and it is what it is. Yeah, no, it, it yeah. yeah, there's no, there's basically no seasoning period. It's basically, like right. I said, as soon as, as soon as it's habitable. And how are you, you know, obviously, you know, these are, fi- you're, you're having to put out, you know, $500,000 in capital in order to, to fund the, the materials and the labor. Are you, do you have that access to that capital now, or are you able to borrow that capital? We have different things that we can do. So now that our primary residence is paid off, we have a very large uh, HELOC on that that we're able to get. Plus we have separate line of credits just for like the business itself too. So we have a lot of capital that we can get, but by getting those loans too, we can still have the progress every, the progress draws every percentage of the way. So like on one of the fourplex, that's what we have. We have that loan going on that we borrow on. And we also have a couple of private lenders who have our last fourplex last year. That's a whole other story. But anyways, we got stuck at the last minute. Our, our uh, loan officer thought he he had given us the go ahead to do the the draw um, cash out, whatever it's called, the construction loan. <laughs> and um, at the last minute, like we had applied for the $40,000 permit, we were just about to go get it. And he told us, oh, wait a minute, I think we made a mistake in the file. Uh, stop what you're doing. And we're like, no, no, like we can't stop. Like the 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 shovel is in the ground, like we are doing this. So it kind of, it, it kind of forced us to find a different uh, approach. So we were able to speak to our accountant and our lawyers who found us uh, different private lenders at the last minute who were willing to work with us. And we got a private lender to to lend us for that construction. By the time we got, because getting a private lender is super fast. There's no bureaucracy with that. So it took about two weeks by the time all of that was done. So we got our loan, we were able to start. And by that time, the bank had gotten back to us and said, oh, never mind, you're good to go. We're like, yeah, never mind, too late now. (laughs) So, but it's good because it forced us to find us a plan B. So now we have, so we we did that construction with one of the private lenders. And then when we did our burr, we uh, we got another uh, private lender who uh, who loaned us for that one. So now we have a couple of options. So it's a variety of of funding yeah. sources. I mean, you've got your own HELOC, which is magical. We 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 used a HELOC to buy our first two properties as well, and it was magical. Yeah, it's uh, the cheapest money you can get, especially with the interest days, the interest rates these days. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And then, are all the properties nearby, or some of them a little further away? No, they're all within the same uh, municipality. There's a couple of townships within this municipality, and we were we're staying within this uh, area. We used to have a condo out in a different municipality, and we sold that one just because it was outside of our scope. So now everything is close by, within a fifteen minute drive, I'd say. Oh wow! So very close by. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Uh, and you mentioned that your husband is involved in some of the construction. Is he, is he acting just as more of a project manager? Or is he out there swinging hammers still? He's out there swinging hammers and he loves it. He's, <laughs> okay. uh, he's definitely, so he's project manager number one. Like, and he's honestly, he's amazing. I think the things he do and the things that he does in a day 
is crazy. Like he will be at the two sites and he's doing everything. He's checking all the mistakes and he's, he's really, really good. Uh, but he's also doing a lot of the work himself, like a lot of the work himself uh, down to like cleaning up the site and loading it in the trailer and going to the dump. And he'll yeah. do some framing when the guys mess up instead of calling them back on site, he'll just do it himself. Cause it's easier. He does. Um, usually we do electricity ourselves. Now we started sourcing this out because we wanted to start sourcing more out and have a little bit more freedom. Um, so electricity, we started doing, uh, we started sourcing, but we used to do, uh, insulation, drywall and everything else after that. So the only things we didn't do was like excavation foundation, the framing, uh, plumbing and HVAC. Gotcha. That's the stuff we don't touch. We definitely don't touch age, uh, plumbing. I don't like to mess with that because with water and stuff, there's always running parts and I'd rather have someone else liable for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, and you know, the, the scourge of most real estate investor investors are contractors, uh, you know, and you, if anybody's ever worked with one, you know, you, you show up, uh, you show up unannounced on a day and you'll find nobody there. Yeah. Uh, and lots of empty beer bottles sometimes, you know, from the long lunches and things like that. So it's definitely, you know, having somebody who's got his hand that much in the business is a big benefit, you know, where he, he, he's there in it shows up. And yeah. if they really screw it up, he doesn't have to sit there and call and wait for him to come back. He can just do it himself. Well, yes and no. I mean, there's certain things that you, you have to wait for them to come back a lot. I mean, there's still a lot of things, all the exterior stuff too. It's just, and especially like I was saying earlier, the trades are so busy. It's so hard to get them there and stay there and finish the job without them being pulled back to another job. And it, it's still very frustrating. We still deal with that on a daily basis and it's, uh, it, we hate it. But yes, it is definitely good that we can get usually by, you know, there's yeah. just, there's, there's a lot of stuff that is still their responsibility to do. You can't, you can't always do everything yourself. They still have to be accountable to this for the stuff they do. But yeah, no, like you said, it's, it's, it's still a really good advantage to have. Well, and the key there with the trades and it's hard, you, you can't always do it. It's just keep them busy, keep them so busy. They can't go do another job. Um, oh, but it, we it's, try, but yeah, man, it's, it's really, yeah, yeah, it's there's really always, see, the issue is that they, everyone says they'll always, they'll always serve the person who yells the loudest, right? And we're not that type, we're not the type to call and yell at you. Like, you know what you have to do. So if someone else is yelling at them louder, then they'll go and serve them. But it's just, it's just annoying in a way. It's like, if the construction industry does take a, a hit and these guys start looking for work, then I think it's going to kind of help. Cause there's no, I find there's no customer service anymore. The, the guys are just in and out, get it done. Who cares? And it, I, I can't stand it. Like we need some sort of level of service that uh, we used to have, you know, three, four years ago that we don't have anymore, no matter how loyal or how fast you pay them, it's still a hassle to deal with. Yeah. Well, and you get, you know, one of the, we talk about this as well a lot is you, you do your best in real estate to try and avoid transactional relationships you know, yep. be, be in a relate a business relationship with someone. Don't be in a transaction, but it's a lot, it's a lot easier said than done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> still, still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is clearly a full-time job for your husband. Yeah. And it's more than a full-time job for you because you still have your day job, correct? Yes. Okay. So you are, uh, is it a 40 hour week day job? No, it's a, it's a very comfy government job that I get to do from home that I've been able to do from home, even pre COVID. So it's 37 and a half hours a week. And, uh, I actually work with my mom in this, in this job. So it's fun because uh, we can work together. And, uh, so it's, it's not, a, a it's not an as demanding job. I have a great boss too. So he understands, you know, if I have to run 
on site to help Rob with something he knows and like, I'll be right back and I'll take my time. Uh, I'll, I'll cover my time after. So it's a really good job to have while we're doing this. It gives me the freedom to take care of the business at the same time, but I won't be staying there forever. I've already told them actually just uh, a couple of weeks ago that I, I am forecasting to leave, you know, probably in summer 2021. So I'm giving them a heads up. They know, they know, you know, that I have all this stuff going on and I'm planning for it at least. And I'm not keeping them in the dark. <laughs> and so, because I can't keep doing both at the same time, it's, it's going to drive me nuts. And it's not good on our marriage either, because I'm, I'm working during the day and then I go and help him after, like I am done at three. So I go at three and go help him on site. Then we work nights and weekends to try and catch up. So at a certain point, we have to hire out some help too. We have to outsource, but well, that's a whole other other discussion because yes. <laughs> we're just having trouble figuring out the outsourcing part. Um, you know, it's hard to give out that money. We're thinking, so, you know, if you have a full-time employee, then you wonder, are we all going to keep building all the time just to keep that person's salary afloat? Or are we going to want to take a break eventually and have kids? And then, so are we going to want an employee in the, in, in, if that yeah. happens in the next year, right? So yeah, that's a whole other um, complication that we're going through. <laughs> I've been there. I'm, I'm literally, uh, with this podcast has been a, a, a lesson in you can't do it all yourself. You know, even just, even just my little podcast, you know, it, it eventually got to the point where it's taking too much time. And I had to, uh, I've just recently hired somebody to start handling the editing and the show notes for me. Uh, oh, good and, for you. and that's a whole nother ball game. That's, yeah. you know, learning to manage an know, employee. Yeah. Manage, manage, a just a, an assistant, you know, a virtual yeah. assistant, a remote, you know, remote worker, you know, you have to learn how to sort of document what it was that yeah. you did and then hand that off to them. And then we learned this from a previous interview, uh, a gentleman by the name of Neil Bawa, and he uses a tool called Loom, L-O-O-M, and it allows you to very quickly record what you're doing on your screen. If you do anything, you know, uh, if you're doing yes. anything on online, you then record that. And then you send that to an assistant and say, Hey, here's how I did it. I want you to do two things. One, I want you to write down the processes that I just did. And I want you to use that as your sort of how to do it. So then what you've done is you've created a, a procedure that you can then, if that person ever goes away, then you can hand it off to somebody and say, Hey, here's how you do that. Um, yes. I think I heard that on a podcast once. And I remember thinking that is genius. Yep. Yeah. And he, he, so he doesn't even have to write the processes himself. He just has to record himself doing it. Hey, here's how I did it. Send it off to them. They write it. So yeah. I recommend, so eventually, Natalie, eventually you're going to have to do that. I, I mean, know. <laughs> the construction is probably not going to, you're not going to be able to do that. But as far as the property management and things like that, yeah. you're going to have to, you're going to have to start either outsourcing it or come up with some systems to take you out yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about that too. And that's definitely the first part of the business that's going to be handed over from there, maybe an assistant on site to help Rob, you know, even if it's a summer student or something like that, as somebody during a co-op, it's it's something we, we have to do because right now we're in the juice of like the two constructions where we have to manage the trades that it, of the one being framed where it's not our time to be in there yet. And the other one who's almost, the top units are almost done. And it's it's like, we're, yeah, it's not, it's not going very smoothly. Yeah. <laughs> so we're realizing this now. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned that you primarily handle the property management right now, yeah. in addition to the, you do the, the designs of, of the properties. 
but how much time would you say per week you're having to devote to the property management side? Property management is not that much. We don't have a lot of maintenance calls or um, turnovers this year have been more of an issue. But I mean, that's about a week or two of, of work. And then after that, it's settled. Per week, it's probably just a couple hours. It's not that much. It's mostly, it's when like the, during COVID, we, were, we weren't building. We were off for six months, basically on that side of the business because the permits were all frozen. So, but there was like nothing to do with the units either. So we found that like, if the constructions aren't happening, the business is actually very easy to do because it's just the property management side. It's when we're building that it becomes chaotic because I have to help Rob manage. I have to send out for pricing. I have to coordinate with, you know, the invoicing and all of that, all of that comes into play. Uh, the drawings, the, um, or just having to send out to order the materials, the, the cabinets, the lights, the, there's always something to do when we're under construction, especially when there, when there's two going. <laughs> yeah. And so how many, that business is more, yeah. I mean, so you're, the construction is, is taking more of your time. Yes, assisting your husband. And how many hours would you say that is on average? We actually, we sat down and we calculated that a couple of weeks ago. We calculated that I'm doing about almost 40 hours of just the, like the business outside of my job. So I'm doing my job and then I'm doing the 40 hours that's mixed in with the property management too. But yeah, yeah. yeah. so I have essentially two full-time jobs and it's getting to be a lot. Yeah. Now, yeah. how old are you? Uh, 28. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good thing I have you're... gray hairs already. Yeah. This business is giving me gray hairs. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a good thing you're young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Natalie Cloutier, thank you so much for sharing with us today. If any of our listeners want to find out more about you and your husband, Rob, what, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? Uh, Instagram, definitely at the new build couple. And uh, we also have a blog that I try to maintain, but you know, when I'm too busy, I don't have, you know, it's yeah, that takes the side. So that's uh, com. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Have a great day. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, that was Natalie Cloutier from thenewbuildcouple.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at thenewbuildcouple. I highly recommend you go and check them out. Very interesting Instagram feed. So was there a key lesson learned from this interview? And I would say this was new to me, the difference between um, development and infill. With development, you're dealing with raw land and getting it properly zoned and entitled and giving all the services built out, having environmental impact studies done. With infill, the land is already ready to go for the most part. Uh, there's much less risk and a much shorter time frame involved. So if you are somebody who's looking to, to build for the first time, I would highly recommend that you, you not plan on doing development, that you focus on finding a piece of land that's already ready to go for whatever it is that you want to do with it. How did they acquire their knowledge? She grew up in a construction family. You know, it pays to, pays to grow up uh, in a family uh, like that. Uh, and her, her and her husband went to school to become architects. She does the, the building design and he does the cost estimations. A great complimentary couple. Um, how much money did it take them to get started in their chosen niche? It cost them about $8,000 uh, of their own money to build their first house that had a basement apartment. Um, so it was really, you know, like, like she said, they were able to apply their sweat equity to the down payment. That's a great program. If we can find, we're going to put something in the show notes that if we find something, we'll put something in the show notes that leads someone to a, a U.S. program that sort of does that. 
how much time do they spend on their real estate endeavors now that it's up and running? This is more than a full-time job. Uh, Natalie ha- already has a, a full-time job, and this is just another full-time job uh, as it is for her husband as well. Could they do this strategy from anywhere in the world? And I would say probably no right now. Um, they are directly involved in the day-to-day operations, especially on the build side, uh, and they primarily stick to properties that are within 15 minutes of their current home. So once again, that was Natalie Cloutier from thenewbuildcouple.com and on Instagram as the new build couple at the new build couple. I'm Neil Henderson. Uh, we're doing this all again next week. Let's hit the road. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels on your road to financial freedom.